Section 19 of Yiddish Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yiddish Tales translated by Helena Frank and read by Adrian Pretzelis. Section 19. Ezrielk the Scribe by Isaiah Lerner. Forty days before Ezrielk descended upon this sinful world, his life-partner was proclaimed in heaven, and the heavenly council decided that he was to transcribe the books of the law, prayers, and mezuzahs for the Kabzanifka Jews, and thereby make a living for his wife and children. But the hard word went forth to him that he should not disclose this secret to any one, and should even forget about it himself for a goodly number of years. A glance at Ezrielk told one that he had been well lectured with regard to some important matter, and was to tell no tales out of school. Even Minda, the Kasbanifka Bobby, testified to this. Never in all my life, all the time I have been bringing Jewish children into God's world, have I known a child scream so loud at birth as Ezrielk? a sign that he had had it well rubbed into him. Either the angel who has been sent to Philip little children above the lips when they are being born was just then very sleepy, Ezrielk was born late at night, or someone had put him out of temper. But one way or another, little Ezrielk, the very first minute of his Jewish existence, caught such a blow that his top lip was all but split in two. After this kindly welcome, when God's angel himself had thus received Ezrielk, slaps, blows, and stripes rained down upon his head, body, and life, all through his days, without pause or ending. Ezrielk began to attend Cheder when he was exactly three years old. His first teacher treated him very badly, beat him continually, and took all the joy of his childhood from him. By the time this childhood of his had passed, and he became married, he began to wear talus and tefillin on the day of his marriage, he was a very poor specimen—small, thin, stooping, and yellow as an egg-pudding, his little face dark, dreary and wizened like a dried lender herring. The only large full things about him were his payas, which covered his whole face, and his two blue eyes. He had about as much strength as a fly. He could not even break the wine-glass under the marriage canopy by himself, and had to ask for help of Rembyankif Butts, the shamus of the old shul. Among the German Jews a boy like that would have been left unwed till he was sixteen or even seventeen, but our Ezrielk was married at thirteen, for his bride had been waiting for him seventeen years. It was this way. Reb Seinwil Basis, Ezrielk's father, and Reb Selik Tachshit, his father-in-law, were Hostra Hasidim and used to drive every year to spend the solemn days at the Hostarebis. They both, and not of you may it be spoken, lost all their children in infancy, 
and, as you can imagine, they pressed the Rebbe very closely on this important point, left him no peace, till he should bestir himself on their behalf, and exercise all his influence in the higher spheres. Once on Erev Yom Kippur, before daylight, after the Kaporus, when the Rebbe, long life to him, was in somewhat high spirits, our two Hasidim made another set upon him. But this time they had quite a new plan, and it simply had to work. Do you know what? Arrange a marriage between your children. Good luck to you. The whole company of Hasidim broke some plates and actually drew up the ketubah, the marriage contract. It was a little difficult to draw up the contract, because they did not know which of our two friends would have the boy, the Rebbe long life to him was silent on this head, and which the girl. But a learned Jew is never at a loss, and they wrote out the ketubah with conditions. For three years running after this, their wives bore them each a child. But the children were either both boys or both girls, so that their vow to unite the son of one to the daughter of the other born in the same year could not be fulfilled, and the documents lay on the shelf. True, the little couples departed for the real world within the first month, but the Rebbe consoled the father by saying, we may be sure that they were not true Jewish children, that is, not true Jewish souls. The true Jewish soul, once born into the world, holds on, until, by means of various troubles and trials, it is cleansed from every stain. Don't worry, but wait. The fourth year the Rebbe's words were established. Reb Selig Tuxit had a daughter born to him, and Reb Seinmal Bassis, Ezrielk. Chanala, Ezrielk's bride, was tall when they married as a young fir-tree, beautiful as the sun, clever as the day is bright, and white as snow, with sky-blue, star-like eyes. Her hair was the colour of ripe corn. In a word, she was as fair as Abigail and our mother Rachel in one, winning as Queen Esther, pious as Leah, and as upright as our grandmother Sarah. But although the bride was beautiful, she found no fault with her bridegroom. On the contrary, she esteemed it a great honour to have him for a husband. All the Kabskanifka girls envied her and every Kabskanifka woman who was expecting desired with all her heart that she might have such a son as Ezrielk. The reason is quite plain. First, what true Jewish maiden looks for beauty in her bridegroom? Secondly, our Ezrielk was as full of excellencies as a pomegranate is of seeds. His teachers had not broken his bones for nothing. The blows had been of great and lasting good to him. Even before his wedding, Seinmal Basis's Ezrielk was deeply versed in the Torah, and could solve the hardest questions, so that you might have made a rabbi out of him. He was, moreover, 
a great scribe. His in honour ofs and his blessed bees were known not only in Kabzonivka but all over Kemenivka. And as for his singing, when Ezrielk began to sing, poor people forgot their hunger, thirst, and need. The sick, their aches and pains, the Kabzonivka Jews in general, their bitter exile. He mostly sang unfamiliar tunes and whole things. Where did you get them, Ezrielk? The little Ezrielk would open his eyes. He kept them shut while he sang, his two big blue eyes, and answer wonderingly, Don't you hear how everything sings? After a little while, when Ezrielk had been singing so well and so sweetly and so wonderfully that the Kabzganifka Jews began to feel too happy, people fell a-thinking, and they grew extremely uneasy and disturbed in their minds. It's not all so simple as it looks. There is something behind it. Suppose a not-good one had introduced himself into the child, which God forbid. It would do no harm to take him to the Alaskev Rebbe, long life to him. As good luck would have it, the Hoster Rebbe came along just then to Kabskonifka, and, after all, Ezrielk belonged to him. He was born through the merit of the Rebbe's miracle-working, so the Chassidim told him the story. The Rebbe, long life to him, sent for him. Ezrielk came and began to sing. The Rebbe listened a long, long time to his sweet voice, which rang out like a hundred thousand crystals and gold bells into every corner of the room. Do not be alarmed. He may, and he must, sing. He gets his tunes there, where he got his soul." And Ezrielk sang cheerful tunes till he was ten years old, that is, till he fell into the hands of the teacher, Reb Yankel Vitis. Now, the end and object of Reb Yankel's teachings was not merely that his pupils should know a lot, and know it well. Of course, we know that the Jew only enters this sinful world in order that he may more or less perfect himself, and that it is therefore needful that he should, and indeed he must, sit day and night over the Torah and the commentaries. Yankel Vitis's course of instruction began and ended with trying to imbue his pupils with a downright, genuine Jewish Hasidic enthusiasm. The first day Ezrielk entered his cheder, Reb Yankel lifted his long, thick lashes, and began, while he gazed fixedly at him, to shake his head, saying to himself, No, no! He won't do like that. There is nothing wrong with the vessel, a goodly vessel, only the wine is still very sharp, and the ferment is too strong. He is too cocky, too lively for me. I wonder, too, for he's been in good hands. Tell me, weren't you under both moisture, Eusis? And it's a pity when you come to think that such a goodly vessel should be wasted. 
Yes, he wants treating in quite another way. And Yankel Vitis set himself seriously to the task of shaping and working up Ezrielk. Reb Yankel was not in the least concerned when he beat a pupil, and the latter cried and screamed at the top of his voice. He knew what he was about, and he was convinced that when one beat and it hurts, even a Jewish child, which must needs get used to blows, may cry and scream, and the more the better. It showed that his method of instruction was taking effect. And when he was thrashing Ezrielk, and the boy cried and yelled, Reb Yankel would tell him, "'That's right, that's the way. Cry, scream, louder still. That's the way to get a truly contrite Jewish heart. You sing too merrily for me. A true Jew should weep, even while he sings.' When Ezrielk came to be twelve years old, his teacher declared that he might begin to recite the prayers in shul before the congregation, as he now had within him that which beseems a good Hasidic Jew. So Ezrielk began to daven in the Kazbanivka old shul, and a crowd of people, not only from Kabsganivka, but also from Kabanivka, and Ibionkanivka used to fill and encircle the shul to hear him. Reb Yankel was not mistaken. He knew what he was saying. Ezrielk was indeed fit to daven. Life and the joy of life had vanished from his singing, and the terrible weeping and fearful wailing of a nation's two thousand years of misfortune might be heard and felt in his voice. Ezrielk was very weakly, and too young to lead the service often. But what a stir he caused when he lifted up his voice in the shul! Kabskonivka, Kabanevka, Ibionivka will never forget the first Umipne Chatoinu led by the twelve-year-old Ezrielk, standing before the presenter's desk in a long, wide talis. The men, women and children who were listening inside and outside the old shawl felt a shudder go through them. Their hair stood on end, and their hearts wept and fluttered in their breasts. At the time when Ezrielk was distinguishing himself on this fashion with his chanting, the Jewish doctor from Kamenivka happened to be in the place. He saw the crowd round the old shawl, and he went in. As you may suppose, he was much longer in coming out. He was simply riveted to the spot, and it was said that he rubbed his eyes more than once while he listened and looked. On coming away, he told them to bring Ezrielk to see him on the following day, saying that he wished to see him, and would take no fee. Next day Ezrielk came with his mother to the doctor's house. A blow has struck me, a thunder has killed me. Reb Yankel, do you know what the doctor said? You silly woman, don't scream so. He cannot have said anything bad about Ezrielk. What is the matter? Did you hear him intone the Gomorrah, or perhaps sing? Don't cry and lament like that. Reb Yankel, what are you talking about? 
The doctor said that my Ezrielk is in danger, that he's ill, that he hasn't a sound organ, his heart, his lungs are all sick, every little bone in him is broken, he mustn't sing or study, the mikvah will be his death, he must have a long cure, he must be sent away for air. God, he said to me, has given you a precious gift such as heaven and earth might envy. Will you go and bury it with your own hands?" "'And you were frightened and believed him?' "'Nonsense! I've had Ezrielk in my cheder two years. Do I want him to come and tell me what goes on in there? If he were really a good doctor and had one drop of Jewish blood left in his veins, wouldn't he know that every true Jew has a sick heart? a bad lung, broken bones, and deformed limbs, and is well and strong in spite of it, because the holy Torah is the best medicine for all sickness, ha, 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 and he wants Ezrielk to give up learning and the mikveh. Do you know what? Go home and send Ezrielk to Cheder at once. The Kamenivka doctor made one or two more attempts at alarming Ezrielk's parents. He sent his assistant to them more than once, but it was no use, for after what Reb Yankel had said, nobody would hear of any doctoring. So Ezrielk continued to study the Talmud, and occasionally to lead the service in shul, like the Hasidic child he was, had a dip nearly every morning in the mikvah, and at thirteen, good luck to him, he was married. The Hostra Rebbe himself honoured the wedding with his presence. The Rebbe, long life to him, was fond of Ezrielk, almost as though he had been his own child. The whole time the saint stayed in Kabsgonivka, Kamenevka, and Ebionevka, Ezrielk had to be near him. When they told the Rebbe the story of the doctor, he remarked, it what do they know and ezrielk continued to recite the prayers after his marriage and to sing as before and was the delight of all who heard him agreeably to the ketubah ezrielk and his chanala had a double right to board with their parents forever when they were born and the written arrangements were filled in each was an only child and both Reb Seinwill and Reb Selig undertook to board them forever. True, when the parents wedded their one and only children, they had both of them a houseful of little ones, and no Parnassa, no living, they really hadn't, but they did not go back upon their word with regard to the board forever. Of course, it is understood that the two everlasting boards lasted nearly one whole year, and Ezrielk and his wife might well give thanks for not having died of hunger in the course of it, such a bad, bitter year as it was for their poor parents. It was the year of the great flood, when both Reb Simul Bassis and Reb Selig Tachshit had their houses ruined. Ezrielk, Hanala and their little son had to go and shift for themselves, but the other inhabitants of Kabsgonivka, regardless of this, now began to envy them in earnest. 
What other couple of their age, with a child and without a farthing, could so easily make a livelihood as they? Hardly had it come to the ears of the three towns that Ezrielk was seeking a Parnassa, a living, when they were all astir. All the shuls called meetings, and sought for means and money whereby they might entice the wonderful Chazan and secure him for themselves. There was great excitement in the shuls. Fancy finding in a little thin Jewish lad all the rare and precious qualities that go to make a great cantor. The trustees of all the shuls ran about day and night, and a fierce war broke out among them. The war raged five times twenty-four hours, till the great shul of Kavanivka carried the day. Not one of the others could have dreamed of offering such a salary. Three hundred roubles, and everything found. God is my witness! Thus Ezrielk opened his heart as he sat afterwards with the company of Hostra Chassidim over a little glass of brandy, that I find it very hard to leave our old shul where my grandfather and great-grandfather used to pray. Believe me, brothers, I would not do it, only they give me one hundred and fifty roubles earnest money, and I want to pass it on to my father and father-in-law so that they may rebuild their houses. To your health, brothers, drink to my remaining an honest Jew, and wish that my head may not be turned by the honour done to me." And Ezrielk began to daven and to sing, again without a choir, in the great shul in the large town of Kamenivka. There he intoned the prayers as he had never done before, and showed who Ezrielk was. The old shul in Kabskonivka had been like a little box for his voice. In those days Ezrielk and his household lived in happiness and plenty, and he and Chanela enjoyed the respect and consideration of all men. When Ezrielk led the service, the shul was filled to overflowing, and not only with Jews, even the richest Gentiles, I beg to distinguish, came to hear him and wondered how such a small and weakly creature as Esri Elk, with his thin chest and throat, could bring out such wonderful tunes and whole compositions of his own. Money fell upon the lucky couple, through circumcisions, weddings, and so on, like snow. Only one thing began, little by little, to disturb their happiness. Ezrielk took to coughing, and then to spitting blood. He used to complain that he often felt a kind of pain in his throat and chest. But they did not consult a doctor. "'What, a doctor?' fumed Reb Yankel. "'Nonsense! It hurts, does it? Where's the wonder? A carpenter, a smith, a tailor, a shoemaker works with his hands, and his hands hurt!' Cantors and teachers and matchmakers work with their throat and chest, and these hurt. They are bound to do so. It is simply hemorrhoids." So Ezrielk went on intoning and chanting, 
and the Kamenivka Jews licked their fingers and nearly jumped out of their skin for joy when they heard him. Two years passed in this way, and then came a change. It was early in the morning of Tisha B'Av, the fast of the destruction of the temple. All the windows of the great shul were open, and all the tables, benches, and desks had been carried out from the men's hall and the women's hall the evening before. Men and women sat on the floor, so closely packed a pin could not have fallen on the floor between them. The whole street in which was the old shul was chuck full with a terrible crowd of men, women, and children. Although it just happened to be cold, wet weather, the fact is Ezrielk's lamentations had long been famous throughout the Jewish world in those parts, and whoever had ears, a Jewish heart, and sound feet came that day to hear him. The sad epidemic disease that, not of our days may it be spoken, swallows men up, was devastating Kamenivka and its surroundings that year, and every one sought a place and hour wherein to weep out his oppressed and bitter heart. Ezrielk also sat on the floor reciting Echa, lamentations. But the man who sat there was not the same Ezrielk, and the voice heard was not his. Ezrielk, with his sugar-sweet, honeyed voice, had suddenly been transformed into a strange being with a voice that struck terror into his hearers. The whole people saw, heard, and felt how a strange creature was flying about among them with a fiery sword in hand. He slashes, hews, and hacks at their hearts, and with a terrible voice he cries out and asks, Sinners! Where is your holy land that flowed with milk and honey? Slaves! Where is your temple? Accursed slaves! You sold your freedom for money and calumny, for honours and worldly greatness. The people trembled and shook and were all but entirely dissolved in tears. Upon Zion and her cities sang out once more Ezrielk's melancholy voice, and suddenly something snapped in his throat, just as when the strings of a good fiddle snap when the music is at its best. Ezrielk coughed and was silent. A stream of blood poured from his throat, and he grew white as the wall. The doctor declared that Ezrielk had lost his voice forever, and would remain hoarse for the rest of his life. "'Nonsense!' persisted Reb Yankel. "'His voice is breaking. It's nothing more.' "'God will help!' was the comment of the Hostrad Tzaddik. A whole year went by and Ezrielk's voice neither broke nor returned to him. The Hostra Hasidim assembled in the house of Elkaneh the butcher to consider and take counsel as to what Ezrielk should take to in order to earn a livelihood for wife and children. They thought it over a long, long time, talked and gave their several opinions, till they hit upon this. Ezrielk had still one hundred and fifty roubles in store. 
let him spend one hundred roubles on a house in Kabskonivka and begin to traffic with the remainder. Thus Ezrielk became a trader. He began driving to fairs and traded in anything and everything capable of being bought or sold. Six months were not over before Ezrielk was out of pocket. He mortgaged his property, and with the money thus obtained, he opened a grocery shop for Hanala. He himself, nothing satisfies a Jew, started to drive about in the neighborhood to collect the contributions subscribed for the maintenance of the Hoster Rebbe, long life to him. Ezrielk was five months on the road, and when torn, worn, and penniless he returned home, he found Hanala brought to bed of her fourth child, and the shop bare of wear, and equally without a groschen. But Ezrielk was now something of a trader, and is there any strait in which a Jewish trader has not found himself? Ezrielk had soon disposed of the whole of his property, paid his debts, rented a larger lodging, and started trading in several new and more ambitious lines. He pickled gherkins, cabbages, and pumpkins, made borscht, both red and white, and offered them for sale, and so on. It was Hanala again who had to carry on most of the business, but then Ezrielk did not sit with his hands in his pockets. Towards Passover he had Shmora Motzas. He baked and sold them to the richest households in Kamenevka, and before the solemn days he, as an expert, tried and recommended cantors and prayer leaders for the Kamenevka shuls. When it came to Sukkos, he trafficked in citrons and palm fronds. For three years Ezrielk and his Hanala struggled at their trades, working themselves nearly to death, of Zion's enemies be it spoken, till, with the help of heaven, they came to be twenty years old. By this time Ezrielk and Hanala were the parents of four living and two dead children. Hanala, the once so lovely Hanala, looked like a beaten Hoshana, and Ezrielk—you remember the picture drawn at the time of his wedding—well then, try to imagine what he was like now, after those seven years we have described for you. It's true he was not spitting up blood any more, either because Reb Yankel had been right when he said that that would pass away or because there was not a drop of blood left in the whole of his body. So that was all right. Only how were they to live? Even Reb Yankel and all the Hostra Hasidim together could not tell him. The singing had raised him and lifted him off his feet, and let him fall. Do you know why it was, and how it was, that everything Ezrielk took to turned out badly? It was because the singing was always there, in his head and his heart. He prayed and studied, singing. He bought and sold, singing. He sang day and night. No one heard him because he was hoarse, but he sang without ceasing. Was it likely he would be a successful trader, when he was always listening to what heaven and earth and everything round him was singing too. 
He only wished that he could have been a shoichet or a rabbi. He was apt enough at study. Only first, rabbonim and slaughterers don't die every day, and second, they usually leave heirs to take their places. Third, even supposing there were no such heirs, one has to pay privilege money, and where does it come from? No, there was nothing to be done. Only God could and must have pity on him and his wife and children, and help them somehow. Ezrielk struggled and fought his need hard enough those days. One good thing for him there was, his being a Hostra Chassid. The Hostra Chassidim, although they have been famed from everlasting as the direst poor among the Jews, yet they divide their last mouthful with their unfortunate brethren. But what can the gifts of mortal men and of such poor ones into the bargain do in a case like Ezrielk's? And God alone knows what a bitter end would have been if Reb Shmuel Bar, the Kabskanifka scribe, had not just then, Baruch Dayanemis, met with a sudden death. Our Ezrielk was not long in feeling that he, and only he, should, and indeed must, step into Reb Shmuel's shoes. Ezrielk had been an expert at the scribe's work for years and years. Why, his father's house and the scribe's had been nearly under one roof, and whenever Ezrielk, as a child, was let out of Cheder, he would go and sit any length of time in Reb Shmuel's room. Something in the occupation attracted him, and watch him write. And the little Ezrielk had more than once tried to make a piece of parchment out of a scrap of skin, and what Jewish boy cannot prepare the veins that are used to sew the phylacteries and the scrolls of the law? Nor was the scribe's ink a secret to Ezrielk. So Ezrielk became scribe in Kabskonifka. Of course he did not make a fortune. Reb Shul Bar, who had been a sofa all his days, died a very poor man, and left a room full of hungry half-naked children behind him. But then, what a Jew, I ask you, or has the Mashiach come, ever expected to find a panossa with enough, really enough, to eat? End of Ezrielk the Scribe by Isaiah Lerner